Welcome back to the Sermon Recap Podcast. This week, we talk about how sin affects the culture of a church. Following on that, we talk about how to speak to others in our faith family about sin that you perceive in their lives. After that discussion, we open the surprisingly rich treasure box of Genesis 4, 17 through 26, a passage of mostly genealogy that Matthew did not cover Sunday. As a disclaimer, though there was much talk of shooting a bull, no animals were harmed in the making of this podcast. Welcome back to the Sermon Recap, a narrow cast from the church at Trace Crossing. Narrow cast? Yeah, it's like, a, it's like a broadcast, but where only 10 people listen to it. Oh, I thought we had more than that. Yeah, I thought it was like 15. Yeah, at least a cool 20. It's so. going to keep going down. <laughs> That's my guess. Every week I do something <laughs> stupid like that in the introduction. We can just say we're on the narrow path. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right in there. Um, yeah, so uh, we're back here in Trace Crossing Podcast Studio. I'm just here to chat about Matthew's sermon um, from... Genesis 4, we're recording this on Wednesday. It feels like an eternity since that sermon, um, and released for me. Uh, but we do have a, a few good questions to ask, and then we are going to, in Matthew's words, um, shoot the bull about the uh, part of chapter 4 that he didn't preach on. Yeah, so we're going to shoot it. <laughs> we're going to, yep. That's what, Probably kill it. That's Pro- what we're gonna not in a good way. That's what we're good at doing in <laughs> Mississippi is shooting animals. Mm. So anyway, um, so I, actually I'm going to turn this, this over to Josh for uh, first question. We'll mix it up. And usually I, I like to, to start with a question, but I'll, I'll let Josh start with a question this time. Um, specifically, I think he had one about the culture of the church um, based on some of the things that Matthew mentioned from his sermon. And I appreciate you um, putting me first this time. I, you know, um, Jesus said maybe you first, learned something. Yeah, <laughs> from the sermon. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus said that the first will be last, and I've spent too much time first. So this week, I'm going last. All right, I love it. Yeah, well, I um, was just pondering on what you preached on, and was very challenged by it, very encouraged by it. First of all, uh, but I thought it might be good, Matthew, for you to talk a little bit about uh, how we can practically, practically cultivate the kind of culture that you reference in your sermon, and and that being one that takes sin seriously, while at the same time uh, it takes grace very seriously. So uh, how can we, practically speaking as a congregation, hold in the same hand both truths that sin is destructive, uh, that it is harmful to us, that we have to take it seriously, and we should call it out in one another, while at the same time practicing, preaching, administering grace to one another when we do find sin in one another. Both of those things are important. We shouldn't emphasize one at the expense of the other. So how can we do that practically together? Yeah, it's a delicate balance uh, because church cultures can can be destroyed both by an overemphasis of grace without taking sin seriously or an overemphasis on sin without without administering or applying grace. So, you know, in the sermon, I, I emphasized how, how, you know, the Lord uses that metaphor of sin is crouching, 
you know, and it's like he's almost like helping Cain see even before he commits the sin of murder that sin is lurking. It is it is after you. And if you do not, you know, stop it, if you do not rule over it, it will rule over you. And and so I, I, I see that as an opportunity within the community of the church. Um, if we can help one another see those crouching sins, help one another identify when sin is crouching at the door, then we can help one another not succumb to sin and be, and be overwhelmed by it. But if that's not balanced with an understanding of, of grace and, and being, being saturated in the grace of the Lord, being centered on the finished work of Christ as the only basis for our belonging in Christ or, or belonging in the church— then we would just become, you know, judgmental jerks, you know, where it's, we're just constantly in, in life group or in our gatherings or at coffee, like, hey, you know, I, I noticed this attitude about you. Like, I feel like, feel like you're really struggling with sin here. And that just becomes like your role in the church where you're just pointing out everyone's sin and you feel like you're contributing. Uh, if that's not viewed uh, within the lens of there is grace and there is love, you know, for you, it, you know, even whenever you do succumb to sin, then it really isn't going to be helpful. So the two have to be balanced very well. And I think it just starts with that mindset. Grace is not sweet and precious and special, and it really is meaningless if we don't understand the severity and the danger of sin. Um, but if we, if we, you know, ignore, uh, you know, God's grace in it, and it's, it's just all about sin, then we just become a harsh, you know, gospel light culture. Um, so I think, the first thing is just understanding the emphasis of those two, and that's that's why I highlighted both sin and grace is coming out of the Garden of Eden and, and, and following humanity and, and being with us today. Uh, so so understanding the, the prevalence of sin in the church and also the prevalence of grace in the church, just, just knowing those two things are there. And then the other thing is just being together, being together, being in community with one another, showing up for a life group and meeting as, as often and regularly as, as possible. And as, as you get to know other people, um, yeah, just out of love for them, hel- helping them be able to identify sin when we see it. But when you're doing that from a, from a, a disposition, from a position grounded in the grace of the Lord, you are doing it from a safe place in that your sin, your, whether you commit sin or whether you're about to commit sin, how you handle that doesn't determine my love for you as a brother or sister, you know, because by the grace of the Lord, we are, we are one, we, we are together. And that's the only reason we're, we're pursuing this kind of community. So yeah, I, I think that the most important thing is just having an awareness, having an awareness of the power of sin, the danger of sin, and then also at the same time having an awareness of how deep and how powerful the Lord's grace is. And as long as you are, are helping one another, you know, identify sin from a position of we're accepted freely on the basis of God's grace. And you're, you're doing it out of the overflow of the gospel. I think it can develop a very healthy church culture. But yeah, so like an initial thing would be being in a community that values you know, both, both the gospel and also understands, you know, the, the severity of sin. Yeah, I love it. I, um, I think one thing that comes to mind as you, as you say that too is um, how we can avoid being judgmental jerks by acknowledging, first of all, that pesky staff that's in our own eye. You know, so taking sin seriously should start with each and every one of us as individuals. That's exactly right. If I'm going to call somebody 
out for uh, the sin that they've already committed or that they're about to commit, how can I lead with some of my own confession? That's right. Um, and and how can we, you know, model that as leaders? Yeah. How can we model repentance, you know, as as leaders for for our folks? If if we're not marked by repentance uh, and taking sin and grace seriously, how can we expect our congregants to be? Oh yeah, understanding know? that. You know, even just understanding your relationship with the Lord and and how He how He has pursued us even in the midst of our sin, and and knowing that we are accepted freely on the basis of His grace, like knowing that that's how God accepts us, and then pursuing another brother or sister in that way, you know, uh, to to restore them or to to guard them or protect them. But yeah, understanding how much I have been forgiven is a beautiful way to start. Yeah, um, if I could ask a related question, um, I haven't prepared you to be asked this at all. Of course I, you I haven't. Just, Perfect. Why would I? Um, <laughs> this is the most fun, we have the most fun here. So um, if you answer this badly, I'll just delete it. We'll so, just, yeah, just edit it out. This is uh, the glory of a podcast. Anyway, um, so I'm wondering, um, we've had some you know situations where uh, we've had members who might be upset about something that someone else has said something, you know, on social media that they perceive to be sinful or harmful, um, or they might know of something, you know, that they perceive to be sinful in another person that they're doing, but that other person, you know, doesn't necessarily know that uh, what other, you know, this other person knows, um, and they certainly haven't invited them to talk to them about it. Um, so w- when we talk about taking sin seriously and talking to one another about uh, each other's sin, is there um, any advice you would give to our members about how to do that? Yeah, you go, you go to that person. And so you notice even in Genesis 4, um, not that we should necessarily compare ourselves to the Lord here, but who does the Lord pursue? You know, he pursues Cain, and and what does Cain do? You know, Cain is upset that he has been rejected and that Abel has been accepted. Cain remains silent. He he retreats into himself. He doesn't. the The only pursuit he has of of his brother Abel in that situation is he goes to kill him. You know, um, but the Lord he he directly he goes directly to the source to Cain, and even after Cain sins, he he pursues Cain. He doesn't go to Adam you know, and say, did you see what Cain did? You know, we need to do something about this. No, the Lord directly confronts uh, Cain in that situation. So, yeah, I mean, if you if you recognize a brother or sister is is about to fall into sin or or has committed a sin, you've seen it, you know, and you want and, and you feel like something needs to be done, the absolute best thing to do, the most gracious thing you can do, the most loving and appropriate thing to do would be to to pursue that person and and ask them questions and, and talk with them. We talk about church discipline, um, and when we hear that word, often we think about someone you know standing in the middle of uh, a council of elders who are wearing robes and they have torches and they're on podiums that are you know six feet above and they're standing you know in judgment over the person who's committed sin but if we're practicing the kind of church discipline that Jesus lays out for us in Matthew 18 then the idea of church discipline is that it should be happening on a regular basis within the life of our congregation because it starts with one-on-one relationships and discipleship is happening as we follow that pattern as we confront one another um, 
you know, it would be it would it would be a wonderful thing if uh, that kind of church discipline was happening, such that repentance is being sowed and is blooming in our church uh, through that that process taking shape as we follow the scriptures teachings, you know? Yeah. And would you have any words for people, um, about the manner that they go to approach people in this way? Cause I, I think a lot of times people, the way that these conversations go in their head is I'm going to approach this person about their sin and they're going to fall on their knees in repentance, you know, and it's, it's going to go super re- well. So they don't really consider, I think a lot of the time how they approach the person. Yeah. Or so, they think it'll go really poorly. And so uh-huh. that, that kind of lets fear set in, like, oh, I'm about to confront this person. Right. And so it, it becomes this, like, monumental thing, and, it, and so they never do it. And so it's just there's this more comfort in talking with others, you know, about mm-hmm. a situation that's happened. And so then this, like, really good desire to help a brother or sister either flee sin, overcome sin, or turn from sin j- turns into sin yourself where you're just gossiping, you know. Um, the best way is when you're approaching someone and you feel like they have sinned in some way or you've seen something is to ask them direct questions about it, you know? So not coming uh, from a place of judgment. And I even mentioned that in the sermon, how, how the Lord does come to Cain. He had every right. I mean, he's, he's the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. He had every right to pronounce immediate judgment on Cain. And he could have just said, Cain, what you've done is evil here. But instead he asked these piercing questions to Cain you know, to ask him, force him to reflect on his own behavior and his own, like, heart attitude. So, uh, I mean, where is your brother? You know, the Lord knows where his brother is, and, you know... That's what he does to Adam and Eve. That's what he does to Adam and Eve. He doesn't need to know where they are. Right. He doesn't need for them to tell him because he doesn't know what they've done. Right. Uh, And I also think about the way Jesus confronts the woman at the well in in John 4. I mean, if you want a clinic on how to winsomely rebuke and call somebody out for something, go read John 4 uh, and Jesus' account, or Jesus' um, interaction with the woman at the well. Like, we can, we can, it is possible for us to, by the Spirit's power, engage with one another and rebuke one another lovingly and winsomely. Yeah, and starting from a place of good faith, you know, starting from a place of, I'm not against this person, I'm for this person, um, it may even be healthy to evaluate the type of relationship you have with them because depending on the, the level of candor that you have with them, it could you know, change the way that you, you approach them in conversation. Uh, but yeah, questions. Questions are always best. And another reason questions are best, even just asking someone, not only does it help them self-reflect and, and maybe even identify a sin that they don't even know that they've committed, it may even help you understand maybe I'm seeing this wrong. You know, maybe mm-hmm. I have a bad lens and, and sin isn't actually being committed here. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say, you know, very patiently, graciously approach and, and ask questions that yeah. you have. Yeah, I think that's great. And that goes for us, too, as leaders. We want <laughs> whoever is listening, <laughs> um, those of you on the narrow path with us, uh, we want you to confront us. We want you to rebuke us when you notice us in error, when you notice sin in our own lives, like, we need to, you know, we are not above that uh, uh, by any stretch. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think pastors could sin, though. We, aren't we, like, once once we take that, that no, position? No, I, I mean that I know? think... 
you guys, I you guys, sin, I just don't want to hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> you got, you guys, we were a sinless staff until you hired me. <laughs> That's right, man. Actually, whenever you said earlier that pesky staff, I thought you were about to talk about us being just pesky and unhelpful in this process. Oh my goodness! Well, yeah, that's another way of, of looking at it. We are a staff infection. <laughs> that's what. Yeah, that's what. I, How's that? Um, that's what I figured. So, um, I guess this would be a good time, for time's sake, to uh, pivot from this to uh, the bullshooting. Um, I could have really messed that up if yeah. I wasn't. Yeah. Anyway. So uh, now to shoot the bull uh, on Genesis four in the second half. Um, I guess we can start um, just by by looking at this passage. It, for time's sake, we won't read the whole thing. Um, if you are listening and not in your car, uh, this would probably be a good time to stop and just read it real quick. That's not long. Um, but anyway, so we look at uh, Genesis four seventeen through uh, the end of it, wondering twenty six. Um, yes, through 26. So what are some things that uh, stand out to you two? Maybe just one thing. One is that I'm clearly a descendant of, uh, where is he? Oh, yeah, verse 21, Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. I don't play the lyre, but that's the closest thing to a guitar. Uh, do you play the pipe? That's the, uh. no, not, not that either, but... Uh, Closest thing to uh, a guitar in the Bible is the is the lyre, I think, that's mentioned. So uh, I can say I'm a son of Jubal. Yeah, you are. But good band name, Sons um, of Jubal. Sons of Jubal, oh, dude. <laughs> or um, to, uh, like, you need to just petition the elders to have your um, official title changed to uh, Son of Jubal. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I think one thing that... Uh, Kind of stands out to me is, um, it, you know, you hear this uh, mercy given to Cain at the end of, uh, you know, this narrative between Cain and Abel where he's, you know, protected by God. And you have this hope, you know, oh, maybe Cain is going to turn it around. Yeah. yeah. And um, seems he sure didn't uh, and left a bit of a negative legacy. Uh, we'll put it like that. For sure. Um, where you end up, uh, this this fruit is born all the way out in verses 23 and 24 with Lamech, um, who says, I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. Um, I think that's an interesting uh, point that how uh, sin can become generational, um, can affect uh, many, 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 many people um, beyond us. Yeah. So. Yeah, man, Lamech was a savage. Yeah, he was the worst. Um, not only did he do it, he bragged about it in <laughs> <He> song. <laughs> in song form, he did. And I also love verse 23, he said to his wives, you know. Right, yeah. Just, <laughs> it's like if, you, if you're just wondering if this guy, how big of a scumbag this guy was, we'll just, like, we're trying to put it in as few words as possible. He had wives, you know, <laughs> just keep going, so... Red flag there. Yeah, I love verse 19. He took two wives, and in his case, it may have been literal. <laughs> Just took them. <laughs> Quite Spe- possible. Speaking of, verse 17, I- I'm going to ask this to you guys since you I know you have answers No, to no, this. no. We're supposed to be asking uh, you. No, I'm sorry. I, yeah, I didn't preach this <laughs> oh, part how about that intentionally. Uh, you know, Cain knew his wife who, you know, existed, I guess. So um, <laughs> where, where in the world did she come from? Well, as you guys... 
uh, informed our listeners last week. Yes, I did listen. I was on a spiritual. <laughs> I was on a spiritual retreat last week, and uh, it was wonderful. And one of the things that the Lord revealed to me while I was there is where Cain's wife came I from. I knew. I knew that would happen. No, I'm Good kidding. things would come out of that. <laughs> so we sent Josh on a spiritual retreat to find the answer to that question. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a special assignment. If that's all that the Lord revealed to me on my spiritual retreat, it may have been a failure. <laughs> I don't know, man. Actually, I, don't know. I could probably get rich off that, <laughs> man. You, I write a book that just def- gives the answer to that one, man. Watch out. Uh, uh, what I will say about this, first of all, is that we just don't know. This is one of those things. And, and I'm good there, with that. There are, other, there are other things like this throughout Genesis where we can, we can go to sleep at night, um, you know, absolutely resting in the fact and being okay with the fact that we just don't know. And that's okay. Um, what, what I, what I will offer, and I, I mean, I don't know how much help this will be, is that if we do believe that all humans on the earth descended from Adam, and the Bible really seems to make that clear, at some point, a brother would have had to have married a relative, a sister, or a niece, or a cousin, or something like that. Uh, at some point, that would have had to happen. You know, uh, we don't know exactly. Happens in Eastern Kentucky all the time. Oh, I totally understand. I'm glad you didn't throw Mississippi under the bus. No, on man, that one. I can't. I can't on that one. It was often thrown under the under the bus uh, in that category when I was living in Wisconsin. <laughs> Shame on you, Yankees. Um, anyway, uh, so at some point that would have had to have happened. We don't know what the nature of his wife's relationship to him was. Was she likely a sister or a niece or a cousin? Probably so. We just don't know, um, but he's he's fairly early Cain in the in the line of humans, uh, and likewise his wife is too. Yeah. Yep. That's um. I'm good with that. <laughs> you said it. All right. <laughs> um, oh boy. <laughs> I do I do like how at the uh, the end of this chapter, um, which it's really a pattern in Genesis where you have. Uh, these negative things that happen again and again and again, but there's always this kernel of grace at the end of each story uh, and here at the end of it. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born in his name, uh, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And I just love how... Um, you know, you have this corrupt family line of Cain that, you know, ends with his, his legacy being, um, you know, a murderer all the yeah. way down the line. But uh, God uh, has this um, this other man, Seth, be born from Adam, even though, you know, Abel, who, you know, appeared to be the more righteous one, is dead. And Cain is a murderer and his legacy is sin and evil. Now you have this uh, you have this other line of people um, that's introduced. And at that time, it says that people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And I just love that rhythm in Genesis. Mm. The, uh, the negativity is always followed by grace and hopefulness. No, I love it. And, you know, and then, you know, Noah, you know, ended up being a descendant right. of Seth. Exactly. So. And then negativ- neg- negativity follows the positive again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cycle but as we know itself. from the whole storyline of the Bible, uh, Jesus wins. Sin mm-hmm. is overcome, and and so God gets the, the last word. That's right. Yeah, definitely. Well, I guess that's about it. We've uh, we've 
the bull, I think, is sufficiently shot on that part. So um, I'm thankful for that. Thankful we've had a chance to discuss it, even though we didn't get a chance to uh, hear from you in the sermon as much. Um, does anybody have anything else before we go? Not until next week. There's plenty uh, more where that came plenty, from. Plenty more next week. I um, This is a little teaser. I'll probably mention this in the sermon as well. Uh, I sat down when I first started preparing the sermon for the Sunday and counted 10 questions that I didn't know the answer to. And so that's uh, how I started my day. But anyway, that uh, I think does it for the sermon recap. If you're interested in more, learning more about the Church of Trace Crossing, you can do that at tracecrossing.org. We thank you for listening and hope you have a great day. Oh,